When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. You Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China. On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House promises more sanctions on the eve of President Biden's trip to Europe. And Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson sits for a marathon session of questioning in her confirmation hearings. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We'll be joined in a moment by Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, who serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee, just back from a trip to Germany and Poland. And we'll ask her about where the president is heading. Dig deeper into the SCOTUS hearings with Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr, and we'll have our signature panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. Day two of Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. And they're still going as we speak. I've been keeping it on live go here all afternoon on the terminal. The Senate Judiciary Committee still at it and will be again tomorrow as each member gets, as I've told you, almost an hour of combined question time. 22 on the panel. You can do the math. Of course, we had a pretty good sense of the issues that would be raised today after opening statements yesterday, including some Republican members like Josh Hawley were criticizing the judge's sentencing in child porn cases. We'll walk you through a little bit of this. Judge Jackson spoke passionately about her views on this when it came up several times today. Here she is. I say to them that there's only a market for this kind of material because there are lookers, that you are contributing to child sex abuse. And then I impose a significant sentence and all of the additional restraints that are available in the law. These people are looking at 20, 30, 40 years of supervision. They can't use their computers in a normal way for decades. It came up, as I mentioned, several more times, talking there about how she addresses in the sentencing those who have broken the law and been convicted. On the matter of court packing, she did not give an answer pointing to Well, the answer that Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett made in her confirmation hearings, here's Judge Jackson again. Senator, I agree with Justice Barrett 
in her, um, her response to that question when she was asked before this committee. Again, my um, North Star is the consideration of the proper role of a judge in our constitutional scheme. And in my view, judges should not be speaking in to political issues, um, and certainly not a nominee for uh, a, a position on the Supreme Court. We'll be talking more about this throughout the hour, along with the latest on the war in Ukraine, as President Biden prepares for his trip to Europe tomorrow, preparing as well for more sanctions that would be announced on the trip, according to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. And that is where we begin with Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, serves on the Armed Services Committee. As I mentioned, Senator, welcome back to Bloomberg. Thank you so much. Sure. You're just back from a congressional delegation, a bipartisan trip to Poland and Germany to check on the flow of aid to Ukraine. Senator, is the military hardware that we are sending getting into the right hands? Well, we did hear from a group of Ukrainian women. They were part of the Ukrainian civil society, and they are stating that uh, the aid is coming in rather slowly, and it's not getting where it needs to go. So that is a question that we have for the administration and, of course, for our Department of Defense, is how do we make sure that we are reacting quickly to the needs of the Ukrainians to get what they need to defend their airspace, as well as to push the ground fight, uh, get that quickly and easily. You described in a briefing yesterday how Ukrainians are essentially driving into NATO countries to pick up the gear that we have left for them. Am I describing that correctly? You are. That is accurate. Of course, we don't want American military personnel going into Ukraine and delivering right. any of those supplies. So it is imperative that the Ukrainians have the open lines of communication and uh, supply routes in order to go pick up that type of equipment to make sure that it's getting quickly to Ukraine uh, to help push the fight. Well, so we, you, we've got to do more. As soon as I heard you say that, I wonder how, how concerned you are about Russia potentially attacking those Ukrainians while they're inside NATO countries. Very concerned about that. And it is something that the Ukrainians, as well as our NATO partners, are also very worried about because the Russians are watching. Uh, they know where the points of entry are for this equipment, for humanitarian supplies. And soon enough, they will start targeting those areas. So we do need to vary those supply routes and making sure that there are other entry locations mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, they can transit the goods and material. That brings us to the matter of the MIGs. Senator, you've been pushing the administration on this, as you described in the briefing room in the Senate gallery. I'll let our listeners hear what you said and then ask you about it. I did lead a letter on this issue, um, the transfer of the MIGs. Uh, I am very supportive of that. And President Zelensky, as well as others uh, from the Ukrainian administration, has asked for that. Um, Secretary uh, Blinken had given a green light to that transfer very early on, and we hope that he will uphold that commitment. Would that imply, Senator, that this matter is not closed, that this still could happen? It is not closed. It is something that I feel does need to happen. President Zelensky has asked for the MIGs. The 
polls have indicated a willingness to transfer uh, defense articles. And what we can do as Americans is help facilitate that transfer and then backfill the polls with our own F-16s. No, I don't think it's over. I do think we will continue with the pressure. I think the Ukrainians will continue with the pressure. They need the MiGs. President Biden is heading for Poland uh, himself later this week. There's some talk of him visiting a refugee camp, Senator. Would you suggest that he do that? And what will he see when he gets there? He should do that. I think when you are face-to-face with the women and children and the elderly people of Ukraine that are in a state, the way I describe it, in a state of shell shock, um, they are war-weary. They have had their communities leveled. Um, They're fleeing in fear. Coming face-to-face with those individuals, I think, really puts the, the humanity out in front of you. You can't ignore it um, when you are right there. So to see it, I think, will be very good for President Biden. Um, But he also needs to engage with the leadership, which can spell out quite clearly what they need, not just to defend where they are now and, and hold in a status quo, but what they can be provided as far as the Ukrainian people in actually expelling the Russians from Ukraine. Former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper uh, told us on Bloomberg a bit earlier today that we should not be taking a military option off the table. I know that you don't want to see Americans in direct conflict with with Russians, Senator, but is, is he correct on that, that we should keep that option available? Well, I think that we should be strategizing because we don't know, you know, what Vladimir Putin will do if he intends to eventually strike a NATO ally that would trigger Article 5, that would require a military response from the United States. Uh, So I think our war planners need to be engaged in that. And certainly Vladimir Putin is one that uh, doesn't intend to stop in Ukraine. I think he intends to continue going where he sees access. And if we are not pushing back and remaining firm in our commitment, uh, he he will test the waters. And we don't want him to do that. I do think there is an element of truth in in what uh, Secretary Esper has been spelling out. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't we can't not overthink it. I think we do need to be prepared with every type of option. But I am not going to support U.S. troops in Ukraine at this time. Senator Ernst, you joined the ROTC program at Iowa State when you were 20 years old. What would you tell a young woman who was thinking about joining the military in the middle of this? This was the greatest honor of my life, uh, serving in uniform. The very reason that I did join Army ROTC at Iowa State University was because of an an agricultural exchange trip that I took to the Ukraine in 1989. I, after that trip, I recognized how important it was to maintain our freedoms, our liberties here in the United States of America. Something that I had witnessed in Ukraine was lacking because they lived under uh, Soviet uh, structure, uh, communism. So it became very important to me to serve our nation and defend those values. And I would say that if these values are important to you, freedom and liberty, then it is absolutely an option that I would encourage our young people take a look at. 
Senator, I know we're short on time, but I know you're also following the confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Some of your Republican colleagues on the Judiciary Committee this week have suggested that Judge Jackson is soft on crime. Is that something that you believe? It is something that I will be um, reading more on. Obviously, I've, I have my own committee work to do, but sure. I do get the back briefs, and I have it. I actually have it on TV uh, in my office so that I can catch what I can of those hearings. But certainly we want to know, is she soft on crime? Is she soft on drug offenses? Um, you know, what areas would she maybe not enforce to the fullest extent of our Constitution? Can you foresee any Republican members of the Senate voting to confirm Ketanji Brown-Jackson? This will be an interesting question. I think at the end of the day, we'll have to know that she will uphold our Constitution as it is written. Um, I do believe in a textualist, uh, um, someone that believes firmly in adherence to our Constitution. If we don't see that, then there will be question on how many Republicans would be supportive. Senator Joni Ernst, it's great to have you with us again on Bloomberg. Thank you for the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden will arrive in Brussels, it seems, with more than just his suitcase. Big announcement to make more sanctions, according to National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. This will be made in coordination, apparently. Sullivan telling the briefing room today at the White House the announcement will be, quote, not just on adding new sanctions but also on ensuring there is a joint effort to crack down on evasion. An interesting wrinkle that we'll be watching for more details on. This will happen on Thursday. As I read on the terminal, expected to cap an intense day of diplomacy that will see Biden attend an emergency NATO summit, a meeting of the G7, a session of the European Council. This, of course, is why the president's schedule had no public events today. We also know who will not be going on the trip. Did you hear about this? Jen Psaki is COVID again. Saying today uh, she is positive, will not accompany the president to Europe this week for the meetings that I mentioned. This following recent positive test for Vice President Kamala Harris's husband. 
The T-Shock just last week, Ireland's prime minister in town, remember, had to stay across the street, Blair House. And, of course, it follows uh, Saki having COVID just a couple months ago. We assemble the panel now. Rick and Jeannie are with us. Our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, this is going to be a big trip here. There's a lot on the line for the president. They cleared the schedule today. I guess, uh, you know, they're going to be flying tomorrow. The big event, though, is on Thursday in Brussels. Then he's going to move on to Poland. And they've added another stop in which he will, in fact, uh, be interacting, I guess, uh, with some folks who are helping to manage the refugee crisis in Poland. I suspect that he'll meet uh, with refugees as well at that point, but that has not been confirmed. These could be seminal images from the war in Ukraine. Is it, is it about more than that? It is. I mean, it is about that. I think this is the biggest trip that he's taken so far in his administration, and the stakes yeah. are incredibly high. And as you mentioned, we hear they're going to be talking about this joint effort to crack down and any sanction busting. And there's also going to be potentially a new announcement on European energy, mm-hmm. um, which we're looking forward to seeing what they have he to say. He could do but... that from here, though, Jeannie. Why get on the plane? Is it is it to, to create those images to see him actually with his feet on the ground in Poland. Well, those images help. I think it's also to have face-to-face meetings with our allies. I mean, it is critically important, and they keep stressing, and Jake Sullivan was saying it today, that this is going to be a joint effort. So I think certainly to support Ukrainians, to support the refugees, to have face-to-face meetings with our allies, these are all important because they have talked about this consistently as a joint effort, and that's critical to the Biden administration's Mm -hmm. foreign policy efforts here. Rick, how much of this has to do with diplomacy versus projecting power or unity, for that matter? Well, I, I don't think they're inseparable. I think that uh, uh, what what the Biden trip to Europe means is the closing of any loopholes with the West in unity around democracy, free markets. I mean, this is a message to China and Russia that there's no light in between the Western governments in the world toward your kind of brutal authoritarianism and trampling on human rights. I mean, this is the seminal moment where that line is getting drawn in the sand. And I I think this is as much a message to China as it is to Russia at Mm. this stage. I mean, obviously, it's focused on Ukraine, but, but, but I think Xi will take it the same way that Putin will. We start talking about enforcement or cracking down on evasion the word evasion brings me back to another headline today on the Terminal Genie. Uh, it was the uh, European Central Bank President, Christine Lagarde. Cryptos are being used to evade Russian sanctions. Uh, converting rubles into cryptocurrencies and stablecoins uh, is a problem here. We, we didn't have evidence, apparently, that we now have Genie. Is that the next target? I think that's going to be a big next target. And, you know, I think this the context of this entire thing is exactly what Rick just said. This is a message. You know, Putin had banked on the fact that NATO allies would never stay together. He thought he had, de- you know, you know, sort of protected himself from any sanctions, that the United States was in such internal turmoil and the allies so dependent on his oil that he could get away with this stuff. And I think this is a clear indication or meant to be a clear indication to Putin, to Xi, and to others, that that is not the case, that they are unified in any effort to break those sanctions. And and the president told Xi in the readout of the call the other week that this would be met with stark reprisals from the United States and others. And I think that is what they're going to be talking about in crypto, certainly among the areas in which they're going to attack. 
Rick Dow Jones reports the volume of rubles being converted into cryptocurrencies is currently at its highest level since May of 2021. That was from Christine Lagarde. They're just watching the trends here. I guess it's not too hard uh, to understand why, but this would require a whole new level of enforcement. Are we ready for that? Well, I think there are a lot of central bank presidents that welcome the opportunity to now shut down crypto. I mean, you know, they've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, a lot of the concerns about the uh, the dark end of the crypto chain, you know, that is used for, for criminal activities uh, has been overshadowed by the great public relations campaign that crypto has put on worldwide. And this is a big hole in the size of that ship. And it may just sink it. It may be that the world is not ready for a loophole in the in the in the sanctions regime like this, mm-hmm. that is not easy to uh, plug. And so, if it if these central bank presidents decide to start shutting down crypto, I wouldn't be surprised. These COVID cases do anything for you, Jeannie? The White House seems to be doing a pretty good job keeping the virus in the news. They are. I mean, it's just a stark reminder. And to the list you mentioned, we had former President Obama not, you know, not that long ago. There has just been a litany of people from Washington, Washington circles around the country and certainly the world. And And so in the White House complex. That's right. And, and, you know, Jen Psaki certainly can't go on this on this trip now, but it is a stark reminder. We are in the middle of a pandemic and it is certainly not gone away at this point. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. We turn to day two of confirmation hearings next. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson still answering questions as I speak to you. We'll talk to Greg Store. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. On to the court update. I'm balancing the Ukraine update on the terminal with the court update because there's so much great information in here. It really helps you follow what's going on. It's just a matter of scrolling all in one location here in the timeline, scrolling down through the timeline. It'll walk you right through the hearing today as we are going to now with Greg Store. The headline Jackson battles with Cruz on critical race theory. That was one highlight today that we'll get to with Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Store. Greg, it's kind of you to be here uh, on such a busy day and in such a busy week. Uh, I'll just start by asking you if this day has turned out to be as tough as you thought it would be. Well, it's certainly going to be a long day, uh, maybe even longer than I thought. It's going to go until 9 or 10 in the evening is the estimate. Um, it, it, it has been a very uh, a contentious day in a lot of uh, respects. Uh, Republicans are going after her pretty hard on issues of crime, including sentences she dispensed in child pornography cases yeah. and on the subject of critical race theory. Uh, Ted Cruz trying to, to paint her as a longtime advocate of that. We, we touched on uh, the issue of sentencing, and it's interesting as I look up and see Josh Hawley, uh, as they are still in process here, she was asked repeatedly by a number of members, including the chair, Dick Durbin, who tried to get ahead of some of these questions uh, about the child porn sentencing. And I want to get back to uh, the back and forth that, that you just referred to with Senator Ted Cruz and the methodology that she was trying to describe to him in the way she sentenced in these cases not to mention the personal feelings she had while she was doing it. Let's listen. I did my duty to hold the defendants accountable in light of the evidence and the information that was presented to me. In 100% of the cases, was the evidence less than the prosecutors asked for? Senator, the evidence in this, these cases are egregious. The evidence in these cases are among the worst that I have seen, and yet, as Congress directs judges don't just calculate the guidelines and stop judges have to take into account the personal circumstances of the defendant because that's 
a requirement of Congress. Judges have to consider things like the victims. And when I was talking about making sure that victims' circumstances are heard, it was about my sentencing practices. Well, that that I show victims being heard with respect. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Before he yields there, he says that the, the sentencing did not show the victims were heard. Greg, can you give us uh, give our listeners a, a sense of what we need to know here? This has come up a lot of times. Uh, Ted Cruz even had a, ch- a big chart on an easel going down all of the sentencing versus the guidelines uh, that she had to work with here. Is this a problem for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, or is this a talking point for Republicans? Well, it's certainly a talking point, and there's no sign that she is losing any of the Democratic support that she needs to get confirmed. Uh, substantively, what she is talking about is this. Uh, the, the sentencing guidelines that, uh, that, that she is talking about, uh, there's pretty broad agreement among sentencing experts that they don't do a very good job of distinguishing between people who actually create child pornography and are directly exploiting children yeah. and people who view child pornography and maybe distribute it to, to friends or, or, or the like. Um, and she said that it is her job, Congress has instructed her to consider the individual circumstances. And part of that is, am I looking at somebody who has uh, passed, who has just you know, collected child pornography or somebody who's actually mm-hmm. created it? And even though all this stuff is harrowing and she said it keeps her up at night and she yeah. thinks about the victims, yeah. uh, you know, that, that is part of her duty is to take into account those individual circumstances. Well, she was clearly prepared for that uh, question and, and got it several times. Uh, critical race theory, you pointed that out, and it's at the top of our court update right now. Did, did that have what was the basis of that line of questioning for her since it's not something I'm assuming uh, she has dealt with as a judge? No, and she said she made, it was very clear that she doesn't deal with it as a judge, and it's not something that factors into her decisions as a judge. Uh, it came up. Ted Cruz uh, took a few statements she had made in, at various points um, and pressed her on those. Uh, one in which she referred to criminal race theory a, a, as one thing that people talk about with regard to, to sentencing, uh, and he also focused on a school here in Washington, Georgetown yeah. Day School, where she serves on the board of trustees, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, characterized that as. As, uh, he said it's filled and overflowing with critical race theory, and he held up some books that he said were part of the right, curriculum yeah. there. Um, and, you know, she, she said a couple things in response. First, she said the Board of Trustees is not in charge of the curriculum, and she also talked about the, the school as a place that was founded in the 1945 at a time when schools in Washington were segregated, and it was a school that uh, was designed to be integrated with black families, white families, Jewish families at a time when uh, uh, some of those people were excluded from schools. Uh, So that was probably the sharpest back and forth of the day. It was indeed sort of brought that to a close here. Greg, what are you watching uh, for the rest of the Q&A here? I know everyone needs to get their time. But have we heard essentially the issues that we're going to hear? We have probably heard heard the issues. Uh, you know, she'll get more of this, particularly when, say, Senator Marsha Blackburn uh, starts asking questions. She she raised similar issues and perhaps yeah. even stronger terms than than Cruz and Hawley in her opening statement. Uh, you know, in a big 
way, this hearing is about her not making a mistake. Uh, she has the votes she needs right now, it seems, with the Democrats to get confirmed, and maybe she'll get a couple of Republican votes, too. And as long as she can you know, keep going without any sort of major mistake, uh, you know, odds are very, very good that she will become the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Yeah, boy, interesting. How, how late do we go through the day tomorrow? When will the Q&A be done? Uh, I don't have an estimate on that, but it won't go quite as late as today. Sure. There will be, uh, I think, a couple senators that will have their first crack at her tomorrow, mm -hmm. and then they'll have a shorter second round. And uh, if tradition holds, not every senator will use all of his or her time in the second round. And they've not scheduled a vote yet, right? Is that correct? For, I heard Dick Durbin say? I, I believe that is the case. They had not, not scheduled a vote. But the Democrats hope to get her confirmed uh, before the Easter recess, which is uh, April 9th or so. Greg, you're doing great work. Hang in there. Thank you much. Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr with us on the fastest hour in politics. We'll turn this over to the panel next and get their sense on how day two is going for the judge. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Yeah, the chair is speaking right now. Imagine how many questions Katanji Brown Jackson has answered or chosen not to answer today, knowing that tomorrow is still hanging out there. Turns out to be like 19 hours combined. But hey, look, you get through this and it looks like she will with a confirmation, and you won't remember how many hours you were sitting there. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. You heard uh, our conversation with Greg Storr, Rick, and I know that you've been monitoring this as well. I'll ask you the same thing. Has this turned out to be as contentious as you expected today? You know, I think it actually is less contentious than I expected it to be. Uh, by and large, uh, we're seeing uh, more of a show, not so much a challenge to the judge, but really uh, an effort to campaign on behalf of the Republican caucus in the Senate. Uh, and it just so happens to be uh, during a hearing for the Supreme Court. So uh, I, I really actually don't think she's been given too many tough questions to handle. And and frankly, has done a good job of handling the ones she has gotten. We saw them coming, Jeannie, from Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and others. How's she been doing? 
You know, I, I think she's done a remarkably good job. She's been really poised. Um, you know, <laughs> Ted Cruz, you know, in, in addition to asking her about critical race theory, mentioned that they went to law school together and they knew each That's other, right. but not that close. And one year apart. <laughs> one year apart. You know, so she's she's been handling it well. I think the toughest questions I think she's gotten have been on the sentencing end of things. We, yep. She's just finished around with Holly on that. And those have been pretty tough. And, you know, they've gone back and forth. But I, I don't think they're going to lay a glove on her. This, for people like Josh Hawley and others who are asking, is in the context of issues that they want to take Democrats on more broadly in the midterm and potentially when they run for president. And that's what I think she's sort of caught in the middle of, if you will. Rick, Republican members have referred repeatedly uh, to the Kavanaugh hearings, still very upset about the way uh, Democrats uh, comported themselves in those hearings. And we've also heard Quite a bit about, at least from Lindsey Graham, Judge Childs. This was, of course, uh, one of the, the this was the, the, the judge from South Carolina that he had endorsed and kind of pushed for along with uh, Congressman Clyburn. Jim Clyburn wanted to see this happen. It didn't. And Lindsey Graham, who's a former chair of this uh, committee, still seems very upset about it. And I want to just hear for a moment on this uh, quick exchange with Senator Graham and, and Judge Jackson on on this matter that he thinks was manhandled by what he calls far-left dark money that landed Katanji Brown-Jackson in the hearing room today. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham. In your nomination, did you notice that people from the left were pretty much cheering you on? A lot of people were cheering me on, Senator. That's true. That's true. Did you know that a lot of people from the left were trying to destroy Michelle Childs? Did you notice that? Senator, a lot of people were supporting various people for this nomination. So you're saying you didn't know there was a concerted effort to disqualify Judge Childs from South Carolina because she was a union-busting, unreliable Republican in disguise? Senator, I was... I'm a sitting judge. I yeah. was focused but, but, on my but, cases. Well, the answer I, is no, I didn't know that. No. No was the answer. Rick, have you? can you remember a confirmation hearing in which uh, the nominee had to react to, to names of people who didn't get tapped for the position? Yeah, that was a little extraordinary. I mean, look, Lindsey was going through his grievance routine, you know, as he went through his questions of Judge uh, Jackson. And and look, I mean, you know, he was upset that Michelle Childs not only wasn't picked, uh, but but was excoriated in the, uh, you know, sort of liberal community uh, in order to clear the way for this judge to be put on the bench. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he decided to exercise all his grievances. He had grievances about um, uh, Judge Childs. He had grievances about Judge Kavanaugh. He had grievances about Judge Alito. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he went way right. back. We did. And, and, and this was his moment to expel, hopefully, all those demons. And, and maybe tomorrow he can start fresh and, uh, and actually think about Judge... Uh, uh, Jackson and and the fact that she's the one who's going to be serving on the he's Supreme not going to vote for her though right which would break a long precedent for him no I I actually would be surprised if he voted for her but also there's a part of me that says now that he's got this out of his system maybe he will because he is the first one to say elections have consequences and it's not up to the Senate to decide um, who the president picks for the Supreme Court we'll have more on this tomorrow of course it'll be day two of questioning and I I have to ask you guys about uh, what's happening in Ohio as we turn 
to electoral politics. Everybody saw uh, the video, I think, of what went down on Friday night at the Candidates Forum. Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel. Mike Gibbons, an investment banker. Josh Mandel, the former state treasurer. They're both running in the Republican Senate primary. Friday night, Candidates Forum. Mandel accused Gibbons of making a lot of money by moving Ohio businesses to China. Gibbons said Mandel wouldn't understand because, well, he accused him of never working in the private sector. And Mandel jumps out of his chair. They're both chest to chest with wireless mics. And this is what followed. Listen to this madness. You Let's may not understand this because you've I never been in the private. No, you don't. I do. You've never been in the I private sector it. in your right, entire life. I've worked, sir. Josh, squat, Josh. Two tours in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Moderator comes over. Okay, they're trying to sit him back down You now. don't know squat. No. Two tours in Iraq. Don't tell me I haven't worked. Back off, buddy. You're gonna you back off. Never. That'll happen. Sit down. Never. Watch. Watch. We'll swear it away with the wrong dude. No, no, you're dealing with the wrong guy. You watch what happened. You watch what happened. Oh, you know, swearing on TV, everything short of you want to take it outside. Fast forward to last night, a major televised debate hosted by Nexstar Media. And they're not the only candidates uh, in this primary, but both were called to the carpet to explain their behavior from Friday night. We'll start with Josh Mandel. Here's what he said. I'm a fighter. I'm a Marine and I'll never back down from a fight. The problem in Washington is that we have all these squishy rhino Republicans. They've taken a knee for the Democrats and they've taken a knee for the media. And when I go to Washington, I will be the worst nightmare of the radical left and of the squishy rhino Republicans as well. Okay, Mike Gibbons gave this answer for his behavior. Uh, We had a disagreement over what the private sector is. I think Josh seems to think that it is military service. And by the way, I have a son that's a Navy pilot. We just visited him. He was, on, uh, he was leaving for deployment. I have nothing but respect for everybody that serves in the military. My point was that Josh has never been in the private sector. The military is not the private sector. The private sector is what operates in this country and makes the economy we have. All right, rings the bell. These are the two front runners. Mike Gibbons is leading the latest poll I saw from The Hill and Emerson. 22% Mandel trailing with 15%. We're five people on stage. By the way, 39% undecided GOP primary voters. Jeannie, is this the way you get to Washington? <laughs> I'm I'm listening to that bell and it did sound like a boxing match and <laughs> they they're encouraging it and the squishy rhino republicans that's a classic that's got to go down he deserves yes. points for that you know uh, it is unfortunately the way you know I don't know if it's the way you get to Washington it's the way you get attention and it you know I I think Mandel has looked at Gibbons with you know Gibbons has spent almost 9 million dollars in ads in this race he's made it to the top of the heap mm-hmm. made him a big target for Mandel, who's trying to claw his way back and claw his way up there. And so I think this is what we're going to get. And of course, you have the other candidates on the stage saying this is ridiculous and disgraceful and, you know, trying trying to move things forward. But of course, these two will likely be the two that stand in the end. Well, I guess that's my question in our remaining moment, Rick. Could we find a situation in which neither of these gentlemen get the nomination after eating each other alive in this race? 
Well, there, there's one guy who hopes that, and that's J.D. Vance, who's that's got right. no attention, who was I on know. the stage. You know, the author of Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, I mean, he, he's he got he's, 8% of the poll. I he's think. getting 8%. So he's hoping some chunk of that 32% of the undecideds <laughs> come his way. And look, I mean, if, if they continue to act this way, Gibbons and Mandel deserve to get beat by J.D. Vance. But at the end of the day, uh, I think these things are just moments in time. And yeah. and, and and frankly, the, the candidate in Ohio... Uh, it's a tough state to campaign, and it's got a lot of media markets, and you need a lot of money, and, and that would obviously weigh in the favor of Gibbons, uh, who's outraised his opponents significantly. So um, the, the one thing that's kind of interesting is they still haven't figured out redistricting well, in, um, in Ohio, yeah, and, uh, and they don't even know when the primary is going to be technically. So well, uh, Let's talk about that next week, because redistricting has just been a massive story looming over uh, all of these contests. Rick and Jeannie, thank you, as always. God, did we cover a lot on the fastest hour in politics. As we track Women's History Month this March, we turn for the latest installment from Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1638, Anne Hutchinson is banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for her religious teachings. She began hosting theological discussions in her home when she moved to Boston. Hutchinson criticized clergy who at the time promoted a deed-based theology. She advocated that salvation was assured only through grace. But Puritan authorities who were threatened by her teachings charged her with heresy and sedition. Hutchinson was later convicted of blasphemy and the judgment was banishment from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Renita, we thank you. We'll get the latest from Renita Young on tomorrow's edition of Bloomberg Sound On. Thanks to Senator Joni Ernst for being with us, as well as Greg Storr. Hang in there, Greg. Day two tomorrow. And of course, Rick and Jeannie. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.